But here we are at a brand new year, brand new crossroad, 2008. And kind of today, the title of the message I put there in, the, in, the, in the, your outline, it's a brand new year, but is it the same old you? And, you know, you, if you stop and you think about that, you know, the new year comes with basically when we stop and we begin to take inventory of how we lived in 2007. And we think through some of the changes that we might need to adjust in our lives, whether they be um, personal or financial or business, whatever it is, um, we make these things called what? New Year's resolutions, don't we? And, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's from losing weight. You know, I put this suit on and this shirt on this morning, and I'm like, dear, I don't know if this is going to work or not. And I, I was threatened to go tireless. But, uh, you know, it's just tight. It's really tight. And obviously, they put on some weight. So i got to figure out how we're going to take care of that, you know. And, um, you know, I, I want something quick and, and easy. I don't want to, you know, have to, you know, exude a lot of energy in doing that. Um, so I, if I could, I'd just starve myself to death for a couple of weeks and lose the pounds, and I'd be fine. But, you know, it doesn't happen that way, does it? So you got to, you know, plan all this stuff out. And whether it's from losing weight or saving money, um, we associate in America for some reason that the new year is a time where we kind of tend to sober up a little bit. And I don't mean from alcohol, obviously. I just mean with life in general. Um, we stop and we look at some of the disappointments and some of the, the distractions maybe that have hit us in the previous 265 days. And we sit down and we kind of look at our life and maybe for those of us who have been too busy, we, we need to stop and, and make a little more time to enjoy some things. Maybe for those of us who have been too lazy, uh, we need to stop and get organized and learn something new maybe. Maybe we've been too self-indulgent. Uh, we need to lose weight or get out of debt, whatever it might be. Um, and all those things, hear me this morning, are good things. Those are good things. Those are good goals to have. Unfortunately, as someone said in the prayer circle this morning, when we make these resolutions, they're more, no more than almost wishful thinking. We don't really tend to keep our New Year's resolutions much past a couple weeks. Um, and there's nothing wrong with planning to exercise. There's nothing wrong with working hard to be financially stable and all those kind of things or be organized for the new year. But the one thing that we need to realize is that as Christians, as people who profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as the church of Jesus Christ in a lost and dying world today, shouldn't there be a little more to our resolutions as Christians? Shouldn't our list reflect a little different list than what the everyday world would have? Actually, they should be radically different. Um, you stop and you think the world discipline themselves for physical gain, and yet, 1 Timothy 4, we're commanded to discipline ourselves for godliness. Uh, they basically relegate sobriety to a designated driver. <laughs> That's what happens a lot of times. Uh, we're to be constantly sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer, 1 Peter 4, 7 tells us. Um, while they pursue the lusts of this world in different ways, in the passing age, we're to pursue what? Holiness as Christians. That's what God calls us to in keeping with our calling. Um, they have these temporal perspectives that they place on the world. We're to have what? An eternal one. Um, they live for their own personal success. But we're to live for who? For God's glory. And right across the board, they conduct themselves however they see fit in their own eyes. We're to basically love God and keep His commandments as He's commanded us to do. And it doesn't matter whether it's our allegiance, our attitudes, or our actions. All those things are called to be different than we see in the world around us because we're called to be different. That's why Peter, in 1 Peter 2.11, calls us aliens. He calls us strangers. I was last night flipping between channels, driving my wife nuts with a TV clicker. It was a football game, and then it was the debate, and kind of hearing these different things. And, and uh, you know, the, the alien subject, illegal aliens, was a major subject in one of the debates. They started talking about it, and I thought of this verse. And I thought, you know, that's what we are. We're aliens here in this world. We're just passing through. We're strangers. 
Hebrews 11.13 calls us sojourners in a foreign land. We're just passing through this place. And there's a man in history by the name of Jonathan Edwards, and he made a, a wonderful example of placing things in priority in his own life. And he penned some 70 resolutions for his own personal life, not just for the new year, but these were things that he looked at on a daily basis in his life. So he didn't just limit them to, you know, January. He said, no, this is something i got to do every day. And one guy online kind of took his 70 resolutions and he put them into 10 categories. And here's what the 10 categories were. They're kind of the top 10 resolutions for a Christian. First of all, to live for God's glory. To live for God's glory. It's not about you. It's about God receiving the glory. Number two, to make the most of this life in terms of eternal impact. Are we doing that? Thirdly, to take sin seriously. We live in a day, in an age, in a world that laughs at sin. They mock sin. There was a gal on the airplane coming back from Dallas. We got kind of stuck in Dallas for several hours. And by the time we got on the plane, we're in the back of the plane. And this college-aged gal, 22, whatever she was, sat behind us. And she starts talking. But, oh, boy, she's had a few. You could just tell. You know, and she was talking to this other college student. There was an empty seat between them. And the other college students seemed pretty studious and pretty conservative. And, and this gal just started going on about how, yeah, I was stuck in the airport. And I went to the bar and started drinking these things. I had probably had one too many. But, you know, it's just... And she was going on and on and on. And then finally came time to take off. And she was frantically calling somebody before they told us to turn the cell phone off and saying, hey, I'm on this plane. And, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't feel good about this. And she goes, I was watching the news and they said the weather in San Francisco, 70, 100 mile an hour winds. I don't know what these people are doing, but I'm on this plane. This could be the last day of my life. I remember hearing you say that over and over again a couple times to somebody she was talking on the phone. And then a little later on, the waitress came along after we hit cruising altitude. And could you get the other drink? Oh, could I have uh, two Jack Daniels? And I'm thinking, please don't give this gal anything more. And well, they did. I don't know if they gave her one or two, but whatever it was, it didn't help the situation. And by the time we reached kind of toward California and, and on our way, you know, the, the stewardess was at a point of saying, you know what? This gal needs to sit down and shut up. I mean, in her southern drawl accent. That's what basically she was saying because she was getting on everybody's nerves. And, you know, eventually she went to the restroom, and I don't know what, you know, it was just a bad scene. But at the end, at the end of the flight, we're pulling into the gate. She whips out her cell phone, and she goes, I'm in San Francisco. It's the worst day of my life. I don't know anybody here. You know, if you're not there to pick me up, she's talking to her sister, and her sister's not coming to pick her up. And, it's, and there's kids there, and finally somebody, you know, hey, you know, watch your language or whatever. And it was just like this little confrontation. But, you know what, she just kind of laughed it off. It was like, you know, no big deal to her. We live in a day and age that does not take sin seriously. They laugh at it. Just watch a sitcom. Third thing that he, or fourth thing that he came up with, not only live for God's glory to make the most of his life, but to take sin seriously. He also, some of his resolutions kind of summarized to become theologically astute. In other words, to learn something about God theology that maybe you don't know. Pick something out about God and say, you know what, this year I'm going to learn this about God. I want to know more about Him. Fifth thing, to be humble. That's <laughs> a thing all in itself, isn't it? Sixth thing, to exhibit self-control in all things. In all things. You know, that's an area of our lives, folks, that somehow just kind of you know, I thought I had, you know, perfect self-control until I got married. It's nothing against my wife. It's true. I, you know, I just thought, you know, I don't understand these people losing their tempers. I was a pretty even-keeled guy. But I was by myself. I was 33. I was doing my own thing. 
And all of a sudden, I'm married and I'm living in the same house with somebody who's trying to tell me how to put the cups upside right or upside down or whatever in the in the thing and how to do the laundry and how to do this. And, it, you know, hey, I'll be the first to say, she's probably 99.9% right in those things. But any guy doesn't want somebody coming into their life and saying, you know, you don't put the cups upside down, you put them on right side up. I'm thinking, no, if you put them upside down, then you keep the third out. You know, I mean, that's, but, but if you put them upside down, then the, the rim is touching the dirty, you know, that's just crazy. And all of a sudden, these crazy little things are prop coming up in my life. And I'm thinking, what is wrong? Pretty soon I'm in a heated battle with my wife. Totally losing self-control. Don't even know what happened. That's, we all face that in different ways. One of his resolutions was to exhibit self-control in all things. Seventh, to always speak with grace and truth. Oh, To always speak with grace and truth. You ever say something and you just... I mean, maybe it needed to be said, but you just said it maybe in the wrong way. You know, that's kind of like what I always do, it seems. I just need to be more graceful. Number eight, to constantly develop an eternal focus. Don't just think about today, but think about eternity. Think about what matters in eternity. I mean, two things are going to be in eternity with us. God's Word and the souls of the people we see around us. That's it. Ninth, to be a faithful Christian in prayer and dedication. And tenth, to daily pursue a fervent love for Christ. You know, that kind of wraps them all up into one. These are just things that he came up on his own and said, you know, and there's some 70 of these things. That's just summarized and kind of compacted into ten top 10 of his. You know, he also wanted to keep his time wisely and all these other things. But his resolutions weren't merely for the temporal lifestyle adjustments in our lives. He really looked at not just, you know, kind of fixing a bad habit in his life, but he wanted to kind of embrace his spirituality and grow in his relationship with Christ. He wanted to make make decisions based on the purposes of God and not his own purposes. He wanted to make decisions so that he could be combating sin, not yielding to sin. You know what else I found out about Jonathan Edwards? He didn't solely rely on his own willpower to do these things. See, that's the problem with New Year's resolutions. You know, we psych ourselves up. Okay, you know, I'm only going to eat 10 calories a day for the night. Whatever it is, you know, I'm going to exercise. You know what? If you're going to do that in your own power, you're probably going to fail every time. Every time. He didn't rely on his own willpower, his clever scheming. He wanted to make sure that his resolutions were kept by the power of God in his life. He depended on the grace of God to help him accomplish what he knew would be humanly impossible. It's, it's, it's interesting to me that even the Apostle Paul we think of the Apostle Paul and we think of his spirituality. He's probably a giant compared to, to all of us. But we think of Philippians chapter 3, and he says in verse 12 of chapter 3, Philippians, he says, not that I have already attained. In other words, I haven't arrived or am already perfected. And then he says this, but I press on. I press on. I push on. You know, they say, runners tell us that when you're out running and you get those cramps, you know, these kind of side aches or whatever, you can actually run through those things. You just keep on running. And eventually, your body realizes he's not going to stop, so we'll make the cramp go away. Interesting. Sometimes we just have to press through the hard times. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He had a goal. He had a vision. It wasn't just a temporary thing. It wasn't just a New Year's resolution. This was the call of this man's life. 
And Edwards kind of emulated that in these resolutions he came up with. But he relied on God. As a matter of fact, in the preamble to his resolutions, he wrote this. Being sensible (laughs) that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so as far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. That's the kind of attitude we need. We need that sensible spiritual attitude that says, you know what, I'm unable to do anything without God's help. Nothing. You say, well, you know, I'm pretty gifted in my own right. I know you're not. You're only gifted because God gifted you. He should get the glory for that. I have a pretty good business sense. Well, God gave you that business sense. I'm a pretty good family man. Whatever it might be, the glory goes to God. So what kind of resolutions are you making this new year? Will they be those with biblical priorities or will they be those that kind of depend on more divine grace in your life than your own human accomplishment? Will they be those that are in accord with God's will? Or will they just be something to get rid of a habit? Don't be content with just resolving to drop a few pounds or keep a few pennies in your pocket. Remember that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and as you follow Him, We're called to this. We're called to live for Christ each day. Not just at New Year's. Each day. And then we're also called to follow Him and deny ourselves daily taking up our cross. He's to be the supreme object of all of our aims, our affections. He's the one that we're to please. He's the one that we're to praise. He's the one that we're here to pursue. Everything else in comparison, as Paul says... In chapter 3, a little earlier on, in in verse 7, in Philippians, he says, But what things were gained to me, those things I have counted lost for Christ. Yet, indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That's the righteousness that saves us. It's not about what we do. It's about what God does in and through us and for us. It's a brand new year. Is it the same old you? You know, as this new year begins, I'm reminded that we're one day closer to the day we die. We're one day closer to maybe the Lord's return. We're one day closer than we may be standing before the Lord in judgment. We're one day closer when we may be standing before the Lord either to hear Him say, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Or we may hear if we're outside of Christ and we haven't trusted Christ as our Savior, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devils and his angels. We're one day closer to that day. And since we're one year closer to that day when our final destiny will be forever determined. There's no second chances here. You you can't go back and collect 200 and go past go and all that. It's, It's not like Monopoly. The Bible says once you die, that's it, folks. That's it. Then the judgment. And either you die in Christ or you die outside of Christ. That's a choice we make here and now. That's a choice that He has given us to make. He loved us so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross so that we wouldn't have to hear those words, depart from me into an everlasting fire. A couple things I want want you to think about over this past year. Has your relationship with God and with Christ improved? Has it improved? It's not a trick question. Has it improved? Have you drawn nearer to God? James 4.8 says, if you draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. 
bearing in mind that a close relationship depends on a couple things. Those of us who are married realize this. First of all, it depends on good communication. It depends on good communication. Have you been faithful in listening to God's Word? Have you been faithful in reading God's Word this past year? Or has another year slipped by and you've yet to read through the Bible or through the New Testament or through the Old Testament? I'll get it next year. If, if that's the case, if we're not taking God's word seriously, are we really taking our relationship with God seriously? What kind of marriage would it be if you never talked with your wife? Or your wife never talked with you? Ever. Crazy. I know people like that exist. But you know what? That's not the way God intended us to live. And nor is it the way He intended us to live in our relationship with Him. He wants to speak to us through His Spirit, through the Word. That's why He's given us this book, the Bible. Have you been steadfast in talking to God through prayer? You know, you read... You read God's Word, He speaks to us through His Word. Well, we can also speak to Him through prayer. Prayer is a two-way communication, too. So many times we get hung up on prayer and, you know, we just go to God and it's, it's you know, God, give me this, give me that. Bless this, bless that. Amen. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we need to go to prayer and just kind of, like the stewardess said, sit there and shut up <laughs> and wait for God to speak through our heart. But that's hard to do because we're busy, 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 going, going, going. And effective communication requires a two-way street. So when you're in Bible study, you should always be joined with prayer. You should always ask God to speak to your heart through His Word and, and you can express those thoughts back to Him through prayer and, and vice versa. Has your degree of prayerfulness increased or decreased this past year? You know, we're creatures that, that always go to the lowest kind of common denominator. You know, if you raise a standard high, then boy, you're, you're striving to meet that. Example in point, I remember after I was saved going to churches, and usually you'd be in church Sunday morning for Sunday school at like 9. You'd have Sunday school from 9 to 10. Then you'd have a service around 10. 10 to 11, something like that, 10 to 12, whatever it might be. Then you'd get to go home, but you'd be back at like 7, usually 6, 7. And you'd have an evening service, maybe choir practice, we'd meet that night or whatever and all this stuff. And then usually on uh, uh, Monday or whatever, you, you, they'd have some visitation time. The people in the church would go out and visit the visitors or whatever. And, and then on Wednesday, you'd have another Bible study. You'd have a youth ministry. You'd have all these things going on Wednesday night. So you'd be at the church on Wednesday night. And then Thursday night was another visitation time. And then Saturday morning was usually a bus ministry thing going on, something like that. And you're just busy. But you're busy about good things. But you were doing all those things. And you didn't even think twice about it. And now I find... That, you know, I talk to my brother who's back in, in Pennsylvania, and sometimes we'll talk Sunday afternoons, and he'll say, Hey, I, I got to get going to get service. You have a Sunday night service? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we don't have those out here in California. <laughs> and in my heart, in a way, I'm thinking, Praise God we don't have them because I don't want to go back there. And Wait a minute. What's wrong with this picture? You don't want to go back and what? Gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and sing songs that will glorify His name and study His Word together and pray together? You don't want to do that? Why don't you want to do that? See, it depicts our lowest common denominator thing. So all of a sudden, to come out on a Sunday night would be this major thing. I mean, that would be a devastating kind of decision. if we did, We're having a Sunday night service. Be here tonight at 6 o'clock. I mean, people would laugh at me. You'd think I was nuts. See? And, and that's, that's the, the, the problem. And yet, so many times our relationship with God kind of goes that same route. Has our degree of prayerfulness increased or decreased? Because if it hasn't increased, then it's decreased. Nothing stays the same. So ask yourself that. Has your relationship with God in 2007 
in Christ improved? Secondly, second area, has our relationship with the brethren improved? This is good. Has our love for one another increased this past year? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 to 10 tells us clearly that our love should be increasing one for another. He tells us that very clearly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verses 9 and 10. He says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. He's commending him on this. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Has God taught us to love one another in 2007? Verse 10, And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. See, he wasn't chiding him. He wasn't, he wasn't mad at him. He was saying, hey, you're doing really good in this area. He says, concerning brotherly love, you, you have no need that I should write to you. He's saying, you're doing great. But you know what? You need to kick it up a notch. You need to increase it. Are we any closer to one another than we were a year ago? What do you mean? Have you looked around the body and said, hey, you know what, it'd be kind of fun to have this couple over in our house. Let's have them over. Have we been in their house? Have we spent time together? Do we know even who the brethren are in our small little church? Have we gotten to know them by name? Has our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ improved this past year? Third thing, has your relationship with those in the world improved? You say, well, what do you mean? See, as people of God, we have an important responsibility toward those who are in a lost and dying world. We looked at it when we looked at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 16. He calls us the salt of the earth. In other words, we're to be a positive influence where we live, in the scope of our relationships in the world. He also says you're the light of the world. We're to demonstrate a better way to, to a world that doesn't have any way. Have you made progress this past year developing meaningful relationships with people outside the church? People who need to hear about Christ. So that they can see the light of Christ in your life and that the gospel can be communicated to them through you. I think most of us in California are kind of, you know, like our, you know, we, we kind of embrace our neighbors and, you know, we, we live next to one another, but that's about it. Once in a while we return some mail and say hi. We don't really even maybe know their name. We've forgotten that lost art of southern hospitality, getting to know people, reaching out to them. Another year has gone by. Have we made good use of the time the Lord has given to us or have we just squandered it? Have we wasted it? I don't know about you, but I think most of us to some degree in some area of our lives have not made good use of our time this past year. But in Philippians chapter 3, once again, Paul says, you know what? Forget those things that are behind. I don't want you to sit here today feeling guilty over what you didn't do in 2000. That's not going to help anybody. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help God. It's not going to help the church. But I want you to press on, as Paul says. Look at 2008 as a new slate, as an opportunity to reach out, to grow. First of all, to resolve to draw nearer to God and to Christ. Have a daily reading program. Doug put one up on the website. Go up there. You can, you can read through the Bible and every, the whole church can be reading through it together. Matter of fact, the website's kind of taken on a different look and stuff. And you can go on there and, and, and look at things. There's a place actually where you sign on. When you go to the website, you have to actually, I think, put in your, you create a username and all that. And then you can communicate with each other. You know, yeah, Pastor, I don't know what he's talking about on Sunday. Yeah, I know. You know, you can have all sorts of fun little chats on there. But it's meant to edify the body of Christ, to build us up. Make a plan to read through the Old Testament. Make a plan to read through the New Testament. Be diligent in prayer. 
Let's be a thankful people. God has blessed us beyond imagination in this country we live in. Sure, we got problems. But I tell you what, we're blessed more than any other nation. Even with all our problems, we need to be a thankful people. Resolve to become closer to God and to Christ. Resolve to become closer to the brethren, the people you see seated around you even now. Make it a point to get to know people's names. If you ever read through Third John, you notice that they, they pull out different names. There's a bunch of little names. It's a small little book, but there's little names in there. Because he knew who he was, he was writing to. I know you're, you're probably thinking, well, if you get that directory out, maybe we could get to know the names. Okay, it's on the way. It is, it is. It really is. It's been on the way for a year, I know, but it's getting there. But each week, just in your in your little daytime or whatever, PDA, whatever you do, just write down a couple of people. You know, I'm going to give this person a call and just see what, what's going on this week. Whatever it might be. Um, connect with people within our body. Have somebody over to your house. You know, for, for it doesn't have to be a big dinner. You know, you, you can have coffee and a donut. You know, you just, just, just get to know each other. I, I think that's so important. Um, because that, that's what we're to be about. Um, you can even just, you know, just a simple visit encourages people. You know, we have three, think of people that are in the hospital or in a recovery center. Go visit them. You know, take 10 minutes out of your time. Pop in and, you know, if you don't have a lot of time, say, you know, I can only spend, you can say this right up front because some of them can talk your ear off. You know, just say, i got five minutes to spend here. You know, I always park when I go to certain people. I, you know, I'll park in the 25-minute zone because i got to get out of there within 20 minutes or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's just a matter of, of an issue. So, but, you know, it encourages them to see your face, to say, wow, they remembered me. I mean, you think about it. They're locked in this hospital room or this recovery center for weeks on end sometimes. And their desire is to be here with us. They hear it all the time. I wish I could come to church, but you know, physically just unable. Get a plan together and say, you know, I'm going to go minister to this person somehow. You can always arrange that. But resolve that in your heart. Become closer to the brethren. And then lastly, resolve it in your heart to get closer and, and, and to know non-Christians better. On their ground, maybe. You know, it's, it's, it's great to invite folks to church and all that, but get to know them on their ground. I mean, that's only respectable. Have somebody over for dinner. Have somebody uh, out for coffee, whatever it might be. But build some form of a relationship with somebody who is outside of Christ, who doesn't know Christ, who hasn't put their faith and trust in Christ yet. So that you can have the opportunity when the time comes that God reveals that to them to, to, to show them the truth. I mean, it sounds simplistic in a way, but in a way, I, I kind of want us to, to think about this this new year because time is very precious. The Word of God relates it to a vapor. Just, pff, it's gone. You can't recover it. The time that's spent is gone. And that's why it needs to be redeemed carefully. In James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15, here's what James says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life, he says, it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live this, live here or do this or do that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. How many times do we make plans in our lives and we think, hey, you know, this is the way it's going to be. I got all this stuff worked out and, and your plans are just totally destroyed. You know, a crazy little windstorm and some rain totally messed up my plans on Friday. 
And, you know, I could have just been totally irritated or whatever, but, you know, it's like, hey, that's what are you going to do? So it's, it's important, I think, to, to, to realize that our time is a precious commodity. Ephesians chapter 5 says that we should understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 15, he says, see, that you, uh, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. I mean, if we don't live in evil days today, I don't know what evil days are. We need to be careful how we spend our time. We need to be careful where we spend our time, with whom we spend our time. And it's, it's, it's my goal this morning that as we look forward to 2008, that we won't be sitting here in 2009 saying, ah, gee, another year. <laughs> what happened? Still haven't read through the Bible. Still not going to... Grace Care Group, still not plugged into a prayer group, still not this, still not that, still not plugged into ministry. I'm just kind of floating along day to day doing my own thing. God doesn't want you in that place. He wants so much more for you. Closing, I want to read this little poem I found. It's called A New Year, A New Beginning. It says, The old year ends and new begins with pages clean and new. And what is written on each page will now depend on you. You can't relive the year that's past, erasing every wrong. For once a year or day is spent, it is forever gone. But don't give up in dark despair if you have failed some test. Seek God's forgiveness and resolve henceforth to do your best. Resolve each precious day to do things good and kind and pure. Though days and years may pass away, these things shall still endure. You know not where your path may lead, nor what's beyond the hill. But know that God walks at your side if you do, if you will, to do His will. All things are possible with God, though days be bright or dim. So do your best and know that you can leave the rest to him. You know, there's so much truth in that. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Some of us look back on this past year and we've lost loved ones. We've we've gained loved ones. People have died, people have been born. I mean, it's an amazing thing that we can look at a year and say, wow, what? look at all the things that happened this past year. Amazing. And yet we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. Yesterday I thought for sure Pittsburgh was going to win. But they didn't. <laughs> Much to my frustration. Not that I'm a big fan of Pennsylvania, but I'm not a crazy Pittsburgh fan. But I would have liked to see them win, but, you know, whatever. But I thought for sure they were going to win. But no, they didn't. We don't know the outcome of what today may bring. And that's why it's so important that today, as we sit here today, if we're a Christian, then we need to resolve in our heart to do the best and the most for Him that we have ever done in 2008. Set our agendas aside and say, God, what do you want me to do? If I'm not involved in ministry, then God, I'm going to get, I'm going to get involved in ministry. I don't even know what. But I'm going to do something. If I haven't visited one person in 2007, I'm going to at least visit two in 2008. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Just do something simple like that. Find an area that, that God wants you to serve in, to, to, to help and encourage the body. There's a lot of, lot of holes in ministry that need to be filled with willing and able hearts. And God didn't save us to be spectators. He didn't save us just to go to the game and sit in the stands and eat hot dogs and say, hey, you guys do good down there. That's good. I'm just going to come and watch. That's not why we were saved. We're saved to participate. We're saved to participate on Sundays. We're saved to participate during the week. We're saved to participate at our jobs in getting the gospel of Christ out. That's if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian here this morning, 
Or maybe you're a child of God who just kind of took a wrong turn somewhere. You really need to make the best use of the time that you have now. Because you may not have tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says, We then as workers together with Him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, In an acceptable time I have heard you. And in the day of salvation I have helped you. Then He says this, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today could be the first day of the rest of your life in Christ. If you just bow your heart, if you bow your knee and say, God, I know it's not about me, but I can't do this on my own. And God, I need your help. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me. He'll do that. He's done it for most people here in this room. But he's not going to force it on you. He's not that kind of a God. He's going to show you your need. And if you're drowned in a, in a, in a cesspool of life and he throws you the life preserver, you know, you don't want it, hey, he's not going to jump in and force you to have it. Something that you have to kind of grab a hold of. Ask him for the faith and the, the grace to believe in him. He'll change your life in a way that you'll never, ever regret. I'm going to have Doug play a little song just to kind of, it, it kind of, in a way, capsulates what I was saying in this sermon. And it's a song by Keith Green, and it's called uh, Sleep in the Night. So just kind of sit there and focus on the words of the song, and, and I pray that it administer to your heart.
Father, we thank you for this morning and for the message we've heard. And Lord, I pray that we would not be a church that's asleep. Lord, I ask that you would rejuvenate your people to do what you've called us to do. The, plan, the, the game plan has not changed. And the plan's the same. We live in a lost and dying world that's on its way to hell with people desperate to hear the message of the gospel, with people desperate to see a genuine faith lived out before them. And Lord, you've left us here as your church to fulfill that mission to take this good news of the gospel, the news that Jesus Christ died in our place, took all of our sin upon Himself, yet He committed no sin at all. He was to be treated as if He had committed every sin of every person who had ever put their faith in Him. And He died and He was buried and on the third day He rose again. And Lord, I love the words to that song. Jesus rose from the dead. But some days we can't even get out of our beds. We've fallen asleep. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here who have yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, I ask, Lord, that they would do so even now. That they would cry out to you that You would grant them the, the grace and the faith and the, the mercy they need to believe in You. We can't make them do that. But it's a recognition of their own sin before You. And a turning to You away from their own agenda. You can work in that kind of a person. You can call them to Yourself. You can... Make them whole again. You can forgive their sin. You can release them from the burden that they're carrying. I pray that they would cry out to You this morning. And for believers, Lord, I pray that we would not think that the job is done. It's far from done. There's so many needs in this church, in this community, in this world that we live in that go unmet every day. Because someone somewhere is not being obedient to your call on their life. Someone is not hearing your will for them. They're too busy doing their own. And Lord, we pray that 2008, that we would embrace it as a year that we renew that passion for you. We renew that desire to grow in you, to get to know each other more personally that this would be a genuine place. This wouldn't be a place where people come and put on clothes and dress up on Sundays just to have church. We don't want that kind of a church. We want a church that's willing to impact lives. Lives here, lives in this community, lives in this world. And Father, we pray that You would do that because we can't. We're totally dependent upon You can't do anything apart from you. We thank you. We praise you for our time this morning in your word. We ask your blessing upon our communion time as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
We're just going to uh, sing one song for communion this morning and uh, we pray that you would uh, use this to prepare your heart. for our communion time together that you would uh, bless us and um, I pray that this time is a time for believers to partake of these elements this cracker and the, the juice that represents the, the body and blood of your son Jesus Christ that was sacrificed for our behalf for our sin and Lord I pray that we would heed the warning in your word that we would not take part in this in an unworthy manner that our hearts would be pure before you our hearts would be uh, contrite before you that if there's known sin in our lives, that we would acknowledge it to you, that we would confess it to you. And Father, we just pray that you would bless our time together. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'll ask the men to go ahead and hand out the cracker at this time.
Father, we thank you for this cracker we hold in our hand. And we know that it represents the body of your Son, Jesus Christ, that was um, brutalized before his crucifixion. And then he endured such a painful, horrible death um, beyond description, really. And, and Lord, he did that out of love for us. Um, Lord, rarely will someone die for another man. And yet Christ died for all of us. And Father, we just thank you for that gift. We thank you that we can be whole in Christ. And we thank you that this represents his sacrifice on our behalf. And we, we thank you for that and we praise you. And bless this to our bodies. We now partake in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you once again for this cup that represents the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Your word says that though our sin be like crimson, Lord, that you wash us as white as snow. And, uh, Father, I remember flying in the airplane and looking down and seeing these mountaintops just covered in snow. How pure it looked, how clean it looked. And that's what the blood of Christ does for us. It covers up. It takes away our imperfections, our sin. It washes us and makes us new. And Lord, we thank You for that. It's, it's not just the physical blood. It's the whole work of the atonement of Christ that this stands for. That He bought us. He purchased us with His own blood and paid for our sin. And for that, we give thanks. And we praise You this morning that we can partake together in remembrance of your Son and His sacrifice. Bless us to our bodies, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.